everybody. I'm so excited for you to join me again today at my happy huddle where I am talking to the soon to be infamous Joy Madden, my friend, my soul sister. Um, and I'm just so excited to share you with everybody. Today we are talking about how to break the cycle of um, the stigma of mental health such a huge topic right now such a huge topic i don't know anyone that isn't doesn't know somebody isn't suffering doesn't have a child or a parent like it is touching everywhere and the stigma is so so crazy so my new best friend here uh joy does counseling does coaching um and went through dr shafali's course with me on conscious parenting so we're going to talk a little bit about that but tell us a little bit about how this all came about and how you started working on the stigma of mental health and how we're going to fight it <laughs> thank you stacy i'm so happy to be here thank you so much um so what got me started in this area is really the way that I grew up. So I grew up as an only child to a set of parents. One was already, both were already deep in their addiction. One was an alcoholic, my dad, and my mom was a drug addict. And so I was raised in an environment of dysfunction and chaos and crisis from really the very beginning. Um, you know, they were in and out of our home. One would be in treatment. One would I would be home with them and whoever was at home, I was constantly making sure that they were alive because wow. I was always fearful that one was gone, then the other one would be gone. So it was a constant, um, constant chaos, constant dysfunction of a little child having her childhood really robbed from her and, and having to grow up pretty quickly and having to adult early on because I became the caretaker of both my parents. You know what? Like, I just look at you and just knowing who you are and what a beautiful person you are. I think it's so important. You could have gone down two different paths because mm -hmm. you hear a lot of stories about addictive parents and how that just is the cycle and it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be, you can break the cycle. So, um, so, so much in like, where did you, you know, there must have been a time where in your in, in high school or something where you were tempted to go down a different path, but just having been the caretaker maybe was so ingrained in you that that is what sort of kept you above the, your head above water, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And it's interesting. I knew that my parents were in addiction and I knew that our home was different than other homes, but yet we weren't allowed to talk about it. Right. Yes. So it's like the secrets and the shame and everything that, you know, you don't talk about anything. And, you know, my family was a pretty well-known family in our tiny little town in Alabama um, and a pretty house and everybody dressed nice and nice cars. And so, you know, these people are thinking that we're all great and wonderful. And on the inside of our home, it was just a lie. So by the way, know, is so true for so many people, right? Like I think just to pause on that for a second, yeah. because whatever's happening inside, you know, behind the dressing of the set of the, the nice house and the nice look and the nice car, like mm -hmm. everybody's got something going on behind those doors. So just the compassion of, of, you know, just hearing 
you say that out loud is really a place to pause and say, everybody's got something going on in there and the secrets and just how powerful that is. And just the courage that you have to, uh, to have overcome that. And then to say it out loud, even as an adult. So thank you. Yeah. You know, and I don't know that I, I knew it was different, but I didn't know how to verbalize it. I just remember going to other families' houses and it would be so different. And then you get to the point where you don't even want to have friends over because our house is so different. So I really, I tell people like I became a chameleon really. And I would just blend in with whoever, whatever person that would love me and that would pay attention to me, whether it be boys or whether it be girls. And I was constantly searching for that crowd so that I would fit in, right? To be loved and to have attention and to feel good. So I was constantly looking on the outside for my validation because I didn't have parents who instilled in me, you know, values to live by and that I was okay and that I was worthy and Mm -hmm. I didn't get that. So I was constantly looking outside to feel better. So that went all the way through college, high school, college, and into my early adult years. And then I married someone, the man that I thought was going to whisk me away on his white horse because constantly searching for that male connection because I didn't have it with my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, And my husband would save me, right? My husband would come in, we would get married and we would be the happiest couple. And he would take me away from all the, the crazy stuff and And live happily ever after, right? In your white picket fence house. And what happens when you grow up in dysfunction and you grow up in addiction, you marry what is familiar and you marry the relationship that you had between your parents. So I married someone who needed to be taken care of, who um, needed me to be enmeshed with, who needed me to solve his problems. And guess what? I just had a good picker. He was an addict all himself. Didn't know it in the beginning because it was so familiar. And I was so attracted to this man, this handsome man um, that I could save, right? And Years by years by years go by and I start to pick up on things, but no, 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 that can't be true because I swore I would never marry anybody like my parents. Like I was out of the addiction. Um, Then we had our first daughter. We were married for seven years. Our daughter was born after lots of infertility. And when she turned two and a half, I guess, Stacey, the denial had just Almost I I use it as an explanation is that I just was warm and comforted in this denial. And I think it kept me safe for so long until I had the courage and the power and the trust and the safety to come out and speak. Mm -hmm. And I finally, something big had to happen, right? Because I think the universe dropped little signs, but something big had to happen to wake me up and sort of shape me and say, it's time to make a change. Gosh, why? Unfortunately, unfortunately that happens. And this is why, by the way, we do these stories, we do these interviews and the bravery and the courage of your honesty is so helpful because hopefully, and as parenting coaches, hopefully what it's going to do is help people become more conscious, become more aware so they can see signs earlier and they don't have to get hit over the head with a sledgehammer like we have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's almost what it felt like. You know, it's like the rug gets pulled out from under you. So fast forward, um, a daughter and he thankfully gets into recovery and then I'm still not happy. 
right? I'm thinking now what's wrong? Like my husband is in recovery. I've got this beautiful daughter. Why am I still not happy? Why am I still searching to the outside of what can make me happy? So hmm, I'll get pregnant again. And <laughs> of course, and a baby. Yeah, babies will make us happy because they give us unconditional love. Yep. So um, the universe decided to give me two uh-huh. so, twins, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, really? Um, and so, the universe said yes, really. <laughs> yes, the universe said yes, really. So um, three kids, and I am crazy. I'm crazy in and out of depression, um, in and out of thinking I can't do this. And as we know, when the research shows that genetics play a huge part in addiction and mental illness. And so the path, it paved its way into my children. And um, my daughter first started showing signs at age 12 and we sent her away. She became suicidal. She had an eating disorder. She was picking um, lots of trauma, lots of trauma. And she's now 17, has been through some years of discomfort and some years of healing and recovery. And then we had our twins. And when my son turned nine, we started to see a lot in him. And you know, Stacy, people think I'm crazy because I could see it in my kids so early. And I had doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists because we went back and forth saying to me, he's just got to get older. He's he'll grow out of this. He's just got to get older. He'll grow out of this. And I'm thinking, that's not true. And so it's like learning how to trust your intuition and trust that mom gut that we are born with. But for those of us that grew up in dysfunction are taught not to trust because our reality was never validated. What we thought was one thing, our parents came in and smushed that down and made us believe something totally different. So I doubted myself for many, many, many months after that. And had to make the decision to go against society, to go against what the doctors were telling us to do, to go against how people were going to think about us and intervene in my son when he was nine years old. And I even think that sounds so crazy, but I will tell you that it saved his life. Um, He went away to treatment at 10. And the biggest lesson I have learned as a mom around mental health and addiction is that when my kids came home for the first time, I wasn't prepared. I had not gotten to the place that I was seeing my part in the baggage that I brought into my parenting for my childhood. Mm -hmm. And they were changing, but I had not changed. And I was still doing the same parenting that I had done when they were struggling so bad. And I remember my son coming home and we were, he had just threatened suicide again. So we were in the emergency room with him. And I remember thinking, what has happened? Like what has happened with our family? What has happened to me as a mom? And I'm looking at my child. He's 11 at this point. And I finally decided that I've got to change. You know, I've got to start doing something different because we're crashing and burning all over the place. And I had been through trainings and had been through classes and thinking about how relapse happens. You know, relapse happens when you bring in the one that's in recovery, 
but then the family system doesn't change. So your, your loved one is out learning how to do the waltz, right? This new dance step. And you bring them back into the family where we're all still, still doing the cha-cha and it doesn't work. Okay. So I have pause. That is so powerful. There's so much that I just want to pause for a second because there's so much in all that you said. First of all, I want to jump to when you're talking about putting your kids in treatment. I think a lot of people will immediately judge and say, you know, you're putting your kids in treatment. What did you do wrong? First of all, there's no wrong parenting, right? So anything that we have done is unconscious. And all of us parents have something that we're bringing to our children and our family unconsciously from our childhood, whether we know it, I mean, unconsciously, we don't know it. But the reality is, and this is why we studied conscious parenting, is because it really isn't as much about getting conscious about your children as it is about getting conscious about ourselves. And, you know, the best way we can parent is to be the best selves that we can be. And that's by uncovering the trauma or what we had in childhood and how we overcame it. Everybody has something from childhood. How did we overcome it? What are the patterns that we're bringing forward? And like, that's why our mission is so great because we just want to help people become more conscious. It isn't even about good or bad because if you're doing something that's bad or doesn't, isn't working, let's just say isn't working, it's just because you are unconscious about what you're bringing forward and what you're doing isn't working. It's not good or bad. And so I just want to make sure that before anybody says, well, that's not me. There's always something. There's always something we can learn in every story. And I also want to talk about um, what were the signs, you know, that so people can be aware because I think there are a lot of parents that they might see signs of maybe it's hyperactivity or maybe it's um, regression or aggression. And the, the doctor is telling them, someone in a white coat who they trust is telling them, it's fine, they'll grow out of it, they'll grow out of it, but their gut is telling them something. What are some of the signs that you saw um, or that you've seen in some of the parents that you work with that would be a red flag? And then let's talk about what you would recommend that they do. You know, there's definitely different stages, right? I mean, the first thing I usually hear from parents is anxiety. And anxiety, it's so broad on the spectrum, right? I mean, I have anxiety. My younger daughter has anxiety, but we have tools to work with. I think when we start talking about anxiety, we have to break it down and ask ourselves and look at our kids and say, is it getting in the way of our normal daily functions? Is it keeping us from getting out of bed and school refusal? Is it affecting the way we eat? Is it causing an eating disorder? Are we overeating? Are we undereating? Um, is it manifesting itself that we can't function our daily routine is the big question that we want to ask and find out from parents. Um, you know, and then there's depression and, you know, for us, for my two kids, the depression led into suicidal ideation and having those thoughts, not a plan, not acting out, but the ideation is the thoughts in your head that you have about what would it be like if I killed myself. Mm. Um, so, you know, any kind of, my son had a horrible tech addiction and I, 
I tell it and I think parents are like, yeah, really? Like you couldn't keep them from him. And our son is also on the spectrum. So he was so bright, you know, in his age, but so young emotionally, if that makes sense. And so he would take, steal our electronics and he would stay on them for hours. And it became where if he didn't get it in that moment, he would rage and not normal behavior, not normal, like, oh man, or throw a little bit of a tantrum. I mean, it was rageful. It was shutting doors. It was screaming, slamming, hitting because that tech became his addiction. And that tech became his escape from his own life of being bullied, of being made fun of at school, of not having friends, not understanding how to socialize with peers. So it's looking for things like that, those kind of patterns that are going on with your children that you're like, well, this, you know, could be normal, but this, we're at a little bit of a bigger extreme. And a lot of times parents get into dial and it's about talking to someone else who's been through it. And that's what I lacked. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have my friends in my circle that knew about this stuff. So I kept it hidden for so long. And then I started to label myself as a bad parent because, well, my kids are doing this, but these kids aren't doing it. And so I was constantly comparing and at night I would cry myself to sleep every night thinking like, what, where did I miss the boat? Like I'm trying so hard to not be the mom that I had. Where have I missed the boat? Like, what am I doing wrong? Right. And so, um, it's finding that person that you can trust, that you can tell your story to and ask their opinions and get out of our um, emotional space. Because when we're so, when we're in such, when we're in emergency all the time and we're re- reactive all the time, yeah. everything is an emergency. And so for me, I didn't know how to decipher what is an emergency and what's not an emergency. Yeah. That's why I think you make the best parenting coach. And I even don't even love the word coach because it it kind of assumes that, um, that the parent who's calling, you know, isn't, I don't know. Well, they do, they need help, but, but that they're somehow bad or wrong, but they aren't, you know, so coaching is just to become better. It's just to become better at whatever it is that you want to focus on. And I just think that you are so, great at that, especially when it comes to mental health and addiction. If anyone out there, um, you know, needs somebody, it's just like a best friend, you know, talking to somebody who can help support and then who just has been through it before you and has a lot of resources and ideas. So, um, gosh, that's why I just, you're, I'm so glad you're doing this and, you know, you're not just working, you know, in an office somewhere, like you're really out there using the pain that you went through and the stories. So, so is there something you would have done differently now having looking back at your son and his tech addiction and, um, or do you think, you know, nope, I I saw it, I, we intervened and then, and then I want to talk about what that looked like for you. Like what is a treatment center? When you say he went away to one, what does that look like? So, you know, Stacy, I've often thought about what, what I've done different, but I really, and where I am now on more of like a spiritual level and in, in my own recovery and in my own healing, I believe that um, everything was set up for us, you know, and 
we had a set of cards that were dealt to us that it's not what I visualized when I had all my babies, you know, as parents were like, they're going to be born and they're going to be these great kids and they're going to make straight A's and they're going to go to Harvard and they're going to get married. <laughs> and, and they're going to cure cancer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so certainly that wasn't my plan, but that's, that's what we have. And I, I'm grateful every day that, I was picked to be their mom because I'm going to tell you why, because those kids, especially my son has been my greatest teacher. Yep. If I had not had those kids and we had not had what happened to us, I wouldn't be where I am today. Ugh, and that is so amazing. And being a coach for me is holding someone's hand to get them to the place where they can finally let go. I didn't have that person to hold my hand. Yeah. I did it all alone because I was such in shame and so afraid of judgment and criticism and what people would think that I hid my story for a very long time. And so now that's why I'm so passionate about telling my story because that to me is the beginning of healing. Yeah. And so to answer your question about the treatment, so because I had had a lot of experience in the treatment world prior to my kids, um, you know, we intervened strong and we intervened early. So both of my kids, um, my daughter first went to a residential treatment program. Um, and my son went to a wilderness program and then my daughter ended up going to a wilderness program. So two kids, two treatment settings twice. Um, and so, and again, had I known better, I would have done better. Right. Had I, um, if I could have done something different between the two times that they were in treatment, I would have done it. But maybe it was that second time in treatment that my kids needed. And maybe that's what I needed yeah. Yeah. to further our growth. Yeah. So, um, and now my son's in a, I call it a little baby boys therapeutic boarding school. And it's hard when I tell people that my son is 12 and he's away, you know, especially now they're like, Oh, are all your kids home and going through COVID and, um, you know, my daughter's away, but it was her choice. And tell me real quick, what does a wilderness school, like what is different about that? What is it? Because I know that a lot of people's first impression of a wilderness school is that's where you send kids that are completely out of control. And it's like just shy of military, you know, um, school, um, you know, so, so Tell us like what that looks like a day in the life for him and how it's helping him and how it helped your daughter. So wilderness program is basically therapy in the woods, right? And yes, people are like, I mean, I took, dropped my daughter off with the clothes on her back and I was mortified. Like I can't send her like favorite sweatshirt. I can't send this and with my son too. So it's skill building. It's learning to live in sometimes not adequate situations. There could be, you know, Morgan went in the dead of winter and they learn how to build a tent. They learn how to cook their own food. They learn how to carve a spoon to eat their own food with. Um, and it is, they get down to the rawest of the raw. And to me, every child should go through wilderness therapy. And in fact, every adult should go through wilderness I, I was just thinking, I mean, we should do like wilderness camp for the family because yes. uh, A, that means then we're all working together. 
Um, but B, it sounds like those are skills everybody needs. Right. You know, it, it shouldn't be that we have to wait until the extreme, you know, right. we shouldn't have to wait until they have suicidal ideation before they learn these skills. And that's my challenge with just, you know, traditional schooling is we're spending so much time on algebra and chemistry and rock formations and missions and none of the time on this stuff that is going to really, really support them. And so, I don't know, we got a mission outside of here too, so. I'm telling you, but it's true, you know, and when they, and they're there in nature, which research shows that when you're in nature and being in nature is so important to our mental health and you're there without your phones, you're there without everything. And you're, so these kids are forced to sit in their feelings and their uncomfortable feelings where at home, they're on their screens, they're reading, they're on tech, they're going out with friends, they're doing all these things. And as adults, we do the same thing to, to, to not have to sit in the uncomfortable feelings. Well, you're in the middle of the woods and you've got a backpack on your, pack, on your back and you're about to go on a five mile hike, that is when the feelings come up. That is when the hurt and the pain comes up. And that's when the, I don't want to do this. And they just, you, you break down. So in those broken down moments on that hike is when the therapist is there with you. And that is when they can get to the bottom because to heal the trauma that comes from whether it's mental health addiction, you have to get to the foundation. You have to get underneath all those feelings to figure out not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. So now people might say at nine, what, you know, what trauma happened for him, you know, assuming that, you know, there wasn't anything because you have a nice, happy, healthy, you know, you're not um, in a war-torn area. So, you know, at nine, are there things that he knew or that happened? I mean, I can understand that in some homes, there was, and you don't have to say it out loud now that I'm asking that, you know, maybe, but. No, no, it's okay. You know, and yes, there is, there are real traumas that happen, especially when I talk to families, even at five and four and three years old, you know, there can be abuse, there can, sure. you know, be emotional abandonment. There can be a lot of things that happen. I mean, just having a, an addicted parent, right? right? Of course, just, or even having a codependent parent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Because I had not learned the skills yet on how to be an authentic parent. So again, my husband too, I will just talk about myself, but it's bringing that baggage that I had, um, was a perfectionist. I was a control freak. And then I had this kid who was so out of the box than my other girls. He had severe ADHD. He, um, we butted heads for a really long time. So we all had a part and I've had to go back and make some very heartfelt apologies to him mm -hmm. as a mom. And my husband has done the same thing because there were times that I did treat him differently because I didn't understand him. And I think when parents are looking for their kids to be something than who they are supposed to be, that in a vivid itself can create trauma so um, of him always not being able to be himself. That's so good. That is so good because I think that is one of the biggest cruxes mm -hmm. of where people can make the difference between 
going down, you know, a, a healthy path or an unhealthy path and how do you identify it early? <clears throat> the most important thing is identifying are you, do you have an expectation about your child that is different than the one sitting in front of you? And if you can get conscious of that, and if you can shift your thinking away from who he's supposed to be or who she's supposed to be and what she's supposed to look like and how quickly she's supposed to be reading and how they're supposed to be behaving at a restaurant, then, the, then you can begin. Then you can begin and then you can see your child and then you can, you can connect with them instead of correcting them all the time. And, and that is such a big piece. So I wanted to make sure I highlighted that. Yeah, it's a huge piece. And, you know, he did have some pretty severe bullying at school and that was a huge piece of it. I mean, he's got some pretty bad memories of being treated poorly, pretty unfairly and poorly at school by his friends and by a teacher. So that was a huge part of it. Um, and now I just real quickly, because a lot of people are going to have that. Did you know that the bullying was happening? Yes and no. Cause I was cause not- a lot of, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off because I know a lot of parents who there's bullying happening and they're doing everything that they can. They're doing. So I want to acknowledge that there is this, whether, and if you don't know it, you know, that really is going to be hard too. Like, how do we become aware of that? Um, and, and what are the things that we look for? But if you do know, and you're trying, and you're talking to the teacher, and you're talking to the parents, and you're asking for, you know, accommodations, and you're, you know what I mean? And it's still happening. There is the acknowledgement that that trauma still happened. Yeah. And then what do we do about it? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's so key and so important. It's, it's advocating for your child every step of the way. And I didn't know how to do that. You know, you think you send your kids to school and they're like the, the babysitter for the day, right? And they're getting an education. Yeah. And no one, no one teaches you how to advocate for your kids, right? And to go into the system and understand what's going on and what is fair and what's not fair and what's allowed and what's not allowed. And it, it was everything from being bullied to his accommodations weren't weren't correct for him. So it was a multitude of things um, along with, you know, a little bit of our unhealthy environment at home due to the way that I was parented. You know, I was parented that you got to stay in line. I mean, you didn't cause chaos for me when I was growing up, because if you, if you stepped out of line or raised your eyebrow or rolled your eyes, I mean, there was trouble to pay. So that's how I thought the kids were supposed to respect you, right? Well, I've got three kids that roll their eyes at me all the time. And I, you know, and now I know it's okay. They're just expressing their feelings. They don't have to be happy with me all the time. It's okay. But before then, I didn't know that. I thought that was disrespect. So I was like, you are not going to roll your eyes. And yeah, yeah. You know, just, it, it became a mess. It I want to point that out because so many people, I mean, this is the, 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 the tipping point, the pivot of conscious parenting is kids are going to roll their eyes. There will be some parents that are going to be like, well, that is absolutely uncalled for. Nobody's going to roll their eyes at me. You're going to respect me. And that never works. Now, does it work in that now they're going to be in line? Maybe. Are they being in line because they're afraid? Because there are consequences to be paid? Or because that they've learned um, that, you know what, in relationships, I don't want to make somebody feel the way that that feels. You know what I mean? There, there's a learning and a tool in that. And then there's a lot of, 
if they're rolling their eyes, that doesn't have to do with me. The conscious parent is going to say, you know what, if I'm triggered, it's because I'm triggered from something in my past. This is not, I'm not going to react on this child from a child, from my own child self. I'm yeah. going to react as an adult who says, Hmm, that's an interesting reaction. You know, let's, let's talk about it. Or, you know what, if you're going to um, talk to me like that, then I'm just going to go out of the room because I want to be around people that are going to talk to me nicer. It's not a judgment. I'm not punishing you. Um, I'm just teaching you a I'm role modeling. Don't hang around people that are going to treat you badly. And I'm saying in a kind way, you know, if you, um, what works, what works is to be kind and to be respectful and to treat me as I would treat you. And, the other way doesn't work. It doesn't get you what you want. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't improve our relationship. It doesn't keep me in the room. Um, so I just there's there's so much there's so much about conscious parenting that okay. is right. And I think you make a really good point when you talk about. It. I mean, it's 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 that it's in that moment and figuring out the triggers. And I used to think I'd say all the time my kids triggered me, and it was their fault, right? Yeah. They're misbehaving, so fix them, and then I'll be okay, and I'll be a happier parent. Right, right. We all say that. We all say that, right? If my kid will just do this or this or this, but really, it's that trigger that goes down into that old wound that I had growing up that was not yet healed. Yeah. Right. And now you're it, not. When you're and, triggered, you're not seeing your child as um, who they are not in who you want them to be right. and who right. they should be, yes. but who they are and where they learn to roll their eyes. I don't right. know. You know, I mean, where did they learn it? Do we do it? Right. Exactly. That'll right. do as I say, not as I do. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, one? right. So, yeah. Yes. So the wilderness school. So is that a place where they go sort of indefinitely? Does it, you know, do some kids just need one breakdown on a five mile, five mile hike? Is it, you know, what happens when he comes home and, and, you know, what have you seen from that kind of breakthrough? Right. So it's, it depends on the kid. It's usually somewhere between a six to 10 week period. Some, some longer, some not really any shorter than six weeks, but I think it an average, my daughter stayed 10 weeks and I think my son stayed nine weeks and at times there can be a transition period where they'll transition to a to a therapeutic boarding school and I don't want to scare parents when they hear that because you don't have to make that decision um we did not the first time and the second time when he was in wilderness we've decided for him that he needed more structure than we could probably give him at home and it also is allowing time for our own family to heal as well. So that when we want to do everything that we can to set them up for success mm -hmm. and he's so young, so his brain is not fully developed. Yeah. So when you've got a 12 year old versus a 17 year old, it's really very different. So we love him and we miss him and we want him home so badly. But right now we know, and he knows that, we're setting him up for success as hard as it is. Um, he is good being given all the tools, but we've got to be working right alongside beside them as parents at home, whether your kids are in treatment or a wilderness or not, yeah. we have to be constantly working on ourselves so that we can show up and parent in a healthy way. And especially when you've got kids that have mental illness, yeah. 
yeah. and mental health struggles. It just takes it up another yeah. notch in parenting and to work through the shame and to work through what society tells you and um, talking about it and sharing about it and asking questions and self-care is yeah. huge, huge. I preach self-care to my parents all the time, all the time. So did you, okay, I have to ask, how badly did your kids hate you when you sent them to wilderness school? So um, <laughs> I'm guessing they don't let them call you for the first week because they'll just be like, let me go Well, they can't call you. Thank goodness. Yeah. So it's the letters. And yes, my daughter probably used a few cuss words in her first couple of letters, but fortunately we were prepared. Fortunately, we had someone to say, this is probably what you're going to get your first couple of letters. Right. And they are mad. They're like, they probably are like, we didn't really think she would do it. Right. Yeah. But they are upset. They are mad and they want to blame us. And, but after she was there for a few weeks and she started, both of them started to see progress and started to see that someone understood them and started to see that someone was holding their hand and sitting there in their feelings with them, that they didn't have to be afraid of their feelings and they didn't have to be afraid to talk about what was really going on. And they were sitting in front of someone else, not a parent that wouldn't judge them. Yeah. So, you know, every kid is different. Mine happened to, to take on to it pretty quickly, but I've heard stories where, you know, it takes kids weeks because I've, they're, they're grounded in that, whatever that addiction, whether it be, you know, eating disorder, tech, whatever it is, you know, that, is what's keeping them safe for the moment. So a lot of kids are afraid to break out of that because that's what's medicating them from feeling their feelings. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, they were not happy, but I will tell you that my daughter, my oldest daughter, who went through a wilderness program, um, says to me every day, and it's been four years ago. Um, she says, thank you. That was the biggest gift that you could ever have given me. I needed to go there and thank you for being strong enough to put your feelings aside and send me. So, so I, and I think speaking of stigma, so mm -hmm. I think that there's stigma around sending a kid to a wilderness school that they have to be at a certain level. So, um, and like, I know you have another daughter and mm -hmm. so is there a, an idea of sending her to wilderness school just because it's so good for her? Or is there, you only send them to wilderness school if they really are extreme? Is there a step down from that where like, gosh, I want to send my kid to wilderness school before he gets to a extreme. And then there is the stigma of you only send your kid to wilderness school if they're, you know, have a rifle in their back pocket or they're breaking down doors. So you know, where is the level where you send them to that? And is there something before that? Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's, it's a hard question to answer because again, I think every situation is so very different. Um, you know, when I talk to families and when I talk to them, that's when I really can start consulting and start asking them the questions and getting a little bit of history. And again, I think it goes back to, is it getting in the way of your child functioning through the day. I mean, that was my biggest, you know, Morgan had school refusal. Um, Morgan was using food to cope. Morgan was picking at her skin. I mean, my daughter had some severe things going on as did my son. 
um, you know, with my other daughter, she's got pretty high anxiety, but I have tools now and yeah. we work through it. We can talk about her, her feelings and her emotions and it doesn't get in the way of her functioning through yeah. the day. Yeah. Right. So I think it's really case by case and I'm probably not giving you a good answer. No. Um, yeah. I mean, I think really I, case by case. it's yeah. consulting with those families and asking the questions you know, and it depends on where the parents are. I mean, I was in crisis and I was, you know, every day I was on high alert with my kids. Every day I woke up thinking, is today the day? Like, is what, it, what is today going to be? Because if my daughter was in a good mood, then I was going to have a good day. If she was in a bad mood, then I was going to have a bad day. And I worried and we were enmeshed every single day. And she and I both needed a break. And to be able to be set free from that um, was so freeing for me because I was her emotional lifeline. She couldn't breathe without me. I was her mom. I was her therapist. I was her friend. I was her advocate. I was her everything. Um, and it was tough. We were in a tough situation. So again, every family's different. Every situation's different. Um, and the question about there's really not... Is there a step down from wilderness? Um, I would say no, because if you're going to invest financially and emotionally and physically into your kids, because we think that there is a problem, why not start from this point where we know there can be help and where we know healing can begin? Wow. There's so much, there's so much. And I think that that's why it's so amazing that there is someone like you who people can talk to and say, look, even if it's just an hour, I want to tell you what we're going through. And then you can guide us because you know, all the different paths, you know, all the different um, resources that people can do. And then of course, there's the conversation about what to do when you get home. And by the way, I think it's what's so critical about why, why you're even more amazing than any other coach that people can choose is that you have been working on yourself and your husband and your family. Like there's so many people, and I'm sure that the wilderness school will tell you that, that, you've got to do stuff at home while we're out here in the, in the wilderness. So, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that they, they give some of that support, but, um, but honestly, unless you work with a conscious coach, um, you know, it's a lot of it is just tools versus mindset. Right. Exactly. And some of them have great family programs, but they, for me, it was not enough. You know, I knew there was work and I'd go and I'd get excited and then I'd come home and I would lose momentum. The motivational wave was gone, yeah. right? Because you get yeah. home and you get back to the way things were. Yep. Um, you know, it's not an easy journey. It's constant. It's constant work. And I'm so passionate about what I do now because I've been at, at Z being the worst and I've been at A being the best mm -hmm. and I've been everywhere in between. And I know it takes work, but I know what it takes. Mm -hmm. And my heart breaks for these families that struggle with kids mm -hmm. to fight. We are fighting against the stigma of society and culture every single day. And especially, I, you know, ra being raised in the South, you don't share your stuff with anybody. And 
my kids suffered alone because there are no kids in our little town that went away to treatment center and wilderness programs and much less go to boarding schools. You know, it's like this. So it's hard when you live in a community like that. Yeah. It's hard anywhere, but especially when you lived, when you live in a community like that. And that's, I mean, I fight every day. I speak out as much as I can. I blog, I do podcasts. I, um, would shout my story from the rooftops anytime I get asked to speak, because again, it's going back to, we are not going to break stigma until we all start coming out and talking about it. Yeah, and until so we do brave. stigma, um, is going to keep these, these topics closeted forever. And we are embracing another mental health crisis now as oh, we speak. Gosh, with COVID mm-hmm. and let's be real stigma comes from judgment. Correct. Period. Like, let's just go right there. So anybody, you know, the, 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 the best thing that anybody can do is start with stop judging yourself because mm-hmm. as soon as you stop judging yourself, then you stop needing to judge other people because you're judging other people. Though I only get a little bit higher than that one. Ooh, I'm feeling a little lower than that one. I'm going to get a little bit higher than that one. I'm gonna, you know, so it's this ladder that you go up and down on. And if you just get off the ladder because you don't need to be better than anyone else, you don't, you're not better or worse than anybody else. Your story isn't better or worse. It is the one that you've been given and just focus on that and stop, you know, and, and, Amen for those of us that aren't afraid to come out of the closet and talk about mental health and mental illness and how to work with it and that it isn't it isn't a dirty word and that we have to we have to be surrounded by people that are okay with it and there won't be people that are be okay with it but the you know if 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 anybody's listening to this and they're okay with it and they're not judging and they want help you know, we've opened the door and, you know, and then it's a ripple and we can stop the chain, you know, the, the, um, the family tree of of illness when we can start healing them sooner and giving them the tools sooner. So yes, a hundred percent. My gosh, you're so brave. You're so kind. You're one of the nicest people. I've never known anybody in Alabama. So now like, I feel like I'm so cool. Like I'm from California and people like wherever I go, they're like, Oh, you're from California. I'm like, it's not all that great. Like don't go to Silicon Valley. It's beautiful. But now I want to go to Alabama. Yes. So, um, so people can find you at joymadden.com and that's J O Y E M A D D E N.com. Um, and, if you have any kids that are struggling or you're struggling with any kind of um, stigma or mental illness in your family or addiction, Joy is definitely the person that you want to talk to. So thank you so much for coming here. I feel like we could talk for four hours, which I know we're going to hang up from this podcast and then do that. Yeah. So um, I just feel very, very, very blessed to know you. Um, all the work we did through Dr. Shafali's Conscious Parenting course has just been life-changing and we are really excited to get it out to more people so hopefully if you guys are listening you will you'll reach out because it is absolutely life-changing yes 100 percent. thank you my friend oh my gosh so much good stuff everybody you know where to reach her you know where to reach me and we will a hundred percent be here again with joy sometime down sometime down the line and get caught up on what's happening thank Thanks, you joy Stacy.